Hello, and welcome to Comic Book Herald Live. Everybody, I'm Jay Houston, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. I see a few people in the chat here joining live. Thank you very much for joining. A number of you are saying muted. Um, I actually just sang the most beautiful rendition of Amazing Grace you've ever heard. I, I Listen, I know when I'm on and I know when I'm missing notes. I'm not classically trained. You might be surprised to hear that, but I nailed it. I crushed it. Sadly, the microphone was muted intentionally and on purpose, guys. Of course I did it on purpose. Happy Thursday. Happy week of December 7th. Here's the deal for today's live stream. CBH Live, baby. I have no notes. <laughs> I have no notes. I have nothing written down. We're going raw. We're going free form. We're just going to talk about what comes to mind. I mean, the big thing that happened in comics this week, uh, conversation-wise, is another round, the latest round of Our Comics Dying, this week sponsored by Mark Miller. Um, that is a perpetual motion machine that uh, recurs every, every I don't know, what is it, month? Are we, can we even make it a month now without the cyclical <laughs> Our Comics Dying conversations popping back up? We can talk about that, I suppose, a little. Get in your questions. Get in your thoughts. We had a double Duggan in the week of X-Men comics. So we had X-Men number 29, and uh, an invincible Iron Man number thirteen. Listen, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, I I actually I general I think this Iron Man run is fairly serviceable. I like the Cantwell run that preceded it uh, quite a bit more. Quite a bit more. I do generally like Duggan taking the absurdity and the complete. Uh, uh, like needlessness of a Tony and Emma romance, again, stemming famously as broken by Dave Busing of Comic Book Herald, a Mark Wade idea from the history of the Marvel Universe that he had no intention of anyone ever seeing through. But so <laughs> Chuggin said, no, we're actually going to do that. We're going to marry Tony and Emma. I actually think the premise of doing that, but having it be a charade, right? And then having them slowly, very Hallmark movie-esque, discover they might actually have feelings for each other. It kind of works. It does, right? Is this going to last? Are, they, are these crazy kids going to make it? No, they're absolutely not, right? This is done as soon as we get into next summer's X-Men reboot. I guarantee it. It's not going to continue for a second longer than that. But there's going to be an inkling of connection there's going to be um, some some sadness shared between Tony and Emma when they have to end the charade. And frankly, I don't mind that. I don't mind that. Uh, Banksy says, am I missing essential stuff by not reading Iron Man? No, definitely not. Uh, I mean, I think the biggest, like, it, it, I mean, it's, it's weird because Iron Man is an X-Men book in the hands of Duggan because he is so thoroughly integrated into the X-Office. Uh, that said... It's not essential reading. I mean, really everything you need to know has been explained elsewhere in the pages of X-Men. The big thing is that Fei Long, one of the leaders of Orcus, has uh, you know taken over Stark Industries and there are now Stark Sentinels. So if you understand that Stark Industries has been used to create Stark Sentinels and that Orcus is using those to hunt and round up mutants in the fall of X, you got it as far as like the big narrative about what's going on. I mean, again, it's not, it's a serviceable Iron Man run. I mean, if you think about Iron Man runs, I was thinking about this the other day, hasn't been an amazing decade. Hasn't been an amazing decade for the character with the biggest MCU glow up of any character, right? Nobody had a higher, well, maybe the Guardians, but like, like Iron Man's glow up, right? His Q rating shot from where he's at pre-movie, which is like comics fans, you know, kind of care a little, right? Um, but no, like, outside presence really at all uh, to the leader of the MCU Avengers, the most captivating character as portrayed by RDJ Jr., right? Like, 
that was massive. I guess the Guardians, because their profile was so low, probably had more to gain. But I mean, had this massive momentum. But then if you look at, okay, from the 2008 Iron Man movie to present day, it starts off pretty strong with the Matt Fraction, Salvador LaRocca, pretty well-beloved Invincible Iron Man run. And I think that goes for about three or four years. Um, but then you get into Kieran Gillen's Iron Man, which is f- probably my least favorite of his his Marvel stuff. Um, I don't it doesn't really work for me. Then you get what the Dan Slot. Actually, I'd throw if you if you discount Infamous Iron Man, which I actually really liked, and I don't know that we can count it. Um, if you discount Infamous Iron Man, which is a Doctor Doom book from Byron Michael Bendis and Alex Maleev, and you just jump to the Bendis Iron Man stuff specifically, now you got Bendis. Slot, Dan Slot, and uh, and then Christopher Cantwell. My favorite of those by far is Christopher Cantwell stuff. Um, that's I, I think it holds a candle to the Fraction LaRocca run, but the Fraction LaRocca one is one of those beloved Marvel Comics runs that I if I I don't if I read it, I don't remember it especially well. <clears throat> which makes me think I probably didn't read as much of that as like maybe any well-regarded 2000s run. I mean, that, that's probably one of the few that I really just have not kept up with. Uh, so I, at some point, we'll do that for the My Marvel This Year Reading Club, where we go through the history of Marvel Comics from its origins to today. It would just be the most natural, casual way I could describe that very good podcast. Um, <laughs> Xavier says here, Hulk started the MCU. Did he? <laughs> Did he? <laughs> does, anyone, does anyone agree with that, like idea (laughs) that doesn't seem like an important uh effect to try to cling to (laughs) it really does not uh okay you you can have your ed norton hulk sorry to have stomped on that um but yeah i mean so anyway so i'm saying the bar for like a good iron man run isn't super high and then if you you even go back beyond the first 15 or the 15 years you know i mean it's even lower right like, if anybody, I mean, listen, there's decent Iron Man stuff. Demon in the Bottle actually holds up really well. Um, but not a character with a fantastic history. You know, I actually love Silver Age Iron Man. One of the reasons I love Marvel Comics so much is because I got my hands on a black and white copy of Essential Iron Man, which is like the first, I don't know, 30 issues or so. And uh, the early Stan Lee, Larry Lieber, Don Heck like Silver Age stuff. The whole time I'm reading it, I'm like waiting. I'm like, when is when is the world going to know that Tony Stark is Iron Man? And uh, it ends with him like fighting the Titanium Man in Russia. That was that was like integral to me getting into Marvel Comics. I uh, They're not as good as like other 60s stuff I would come to learn. You know, the peak is Amazing Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, Doctor Strange. But at the time, I was like, oh, this is super fun. I should start reading comics again um, or really for the first time. Uh, but anyway, anyway, the point being, the Duck and Run falls is going to fall somewhere in the middle of all that. It's not the worst. It's far from the best. Um, it's fine, and it's inessential for the Kirkhall era, which means, you know, don't worry about it. <laughs> like, if you're not reading it, don't worry about it. If you have it and you're enjoying it, great. Uh, the other Duggan book, of course, is X-Men number 29. Listen, I am, I've said this many times, but I have a, a very high bar for creators writing Thanos that aren't Jim Starlin, if you're going to try, it, there's a very good chance. I don't like what you've done. Um, I have similar feelings about Dr. Doom, but Dr. Doom's, you know, creator ownership is so varied that, you know, it's it's not nearly, I'm not nearly as possessive or weird about it. I guess maybe I'm still weird about it, but not as possessive about it as being owned by a single creator. Uh, Jonathan Higman writes a great Dr. Doom. You know, I think is, it, if pushed to it, might be the reason I like Hickman Marvel stuff. Like, <laughs> if you took out the fact that he writes a real great Doctor Doom, am I still that into it? I don't know. Impossible to say. Don't want to live in that. Don't want to live in that alternate reality. Um, Duggan, again, serviceable. <laughs> it's fine. I, I really liked uh, calling back to the House of X moment with Professor X reaching out to the world and Doctor Doom being the one individual who anticipated that Charlie Ballgame was going to do that and was able to talk back to him psychically as as Charlie utilized his abilities to their fullest effect. That was a nice touch. That was a nice beat. Uh, you have Dr. Doom creating essentially his own X-Men in Latveria. 
uh, which kind of, you know, tentatively sets the stage for Doom as almost like a reluctant ally against Orcus, you know, kind of thing. I mean, I think if you look at Orcus at this point and you look at, like, who is on their side, there are some very notable supervillain presences who are not, who would bristle at the idea that they would be in control and not them. I do think that is an appropriate fit for Dr. Doom. I don't know how much Doom you can cram into Fall of the House of X with five issues remaining. You know, it is one of those things where it's like, we're a little late in the game to to add this to the story. Um, that said, I'm never really actually opposed to adding Doctor Doom to any narrative, so maybe it'll work out fantastically well. But those were this week's comics <laughs> on the X-Men side of things. Somebody, somebody in the chat, give us the Alpha Flight update. What phenomenally essential uh, and compelling narratives happened in Alpha Flight number five? If you hit us with those, I will read them out loud. Uh, Vincent asked, didn't Tom Taylor have a run in there? Tom Taylor did do the Superior Iron Man. You're right. That was Access Era. Superior Iron Man, which was a, a Superior Spider-Man ripoff, but was like, man, Axis had such an outsized influence for being such a not good event. Um, but then you had Tony in that goofy, silver, uh, evil meanie armor <laughs> for the end of Hickman's New Avengers and Avengers. You're right. That run uh, falls somewhere in the middle as well. It's it's like a miniseries, really. I think it's like eight issues, if that. What else do we got? Uh, 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 Chris says, Silver Age Journey to Mystery Thor is underrated. It is. It's actually, I, it's probably actually the number three of the era, even though I often put Doctor Strange as the number three. Number one is Amazing Spider-Man. Number two is Fantastic Four. You want to flip those, that's fine. And then your number three, you want to put Journey into Mystery and Thor in there? I mean, Kirby's, Kirby's Journey into Mystery and Thor, arguably better, um, Mm, no, it's not. Not better than the desk floor. But it's, you could put it at number three. I'd be fine with that. I could be fine with that. Um, Jordy says, it was frustrating to see a few panels from back when Moira could have been a character. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah. I saw, okay, so I, I was on Twitter this week. Huge mistake. Huge mistake. Shouldn't have done it. I did it. I've been doing it for a couple weeks now. I can just, I can just feel myself. The thing about the effect of thinking about and talking about comics online in on in like a social media just everyone gets to have an opinion and like equal voice which sounds very democratic in theory the thing about it is i get sucked into thinking it matters it's like intellectually like if you haven't been on twitter for a while you can come and kind of view it from a distance and you can recognize that, oh, they're spinning their wheels on the death of comics again. And you kind of know, like, like there are issues to discuss as far as, like, comic sales and, you know, what can be done for retailers and that sort of thing. Um, but they're not happening here, <laughs> right? These are just people yelling at each other and refusing to hear what the other side is saying. But then when you actually sink into it, all of a sudden I'm sitting there doing dishes this morning or whatever, and I'm thinking about it of my own accord, and I'm getting mad. <laughs> it's like, why am I doing that? There are much bigger problems in my day-to-day, -day, in the world, uh, than, than fans being upset about comic books. Now, granted, I have this position that I have chosen for myself of, <laughs> of talking about comics on the regular, but uh, man, it warps your brain. It really does. Uh, but anyway, I was there, making this mistake that I repeatedly make. And I, I saw something that was uh, not incorrectly lamenting the wasted potential of Moira, which I have said many times. This is my Joker moment, I guess. <laughs> um, this is, or it's like, you know, the NBA analogy I always use is the James Harden trade from OKC. Like this is the, the biggest what if moment for me in the entire House of X era, and maybe in my life, <laughs> in Marvel Comics, and uh, is, you know, what if Moira hadn't been reduced to uh, evil robot Moira? And I, I did see someone in their effort to support 
that this is a bad thing, which I agree. They were reiterating the point that I, I think, you know, again, I probably raised the first time, which was in a video way back when where they interviewed, Marvel interviewed uh, Grant Morrison and Jonathan Hickman. Somebody asked the question about like what, it was like right after X Lives and X Deaths must have ended. I think it was the, the 100th year celebration, you know, so, there, so there's a short clip out of context, but they asked the question, was that the plan for Moira? And Hickman very awkwardly is like, that wasn't the plan. Or he's like, I can't answer that, but that wasn't the plan. And then he just leaves it hanging. And the implication that I took from it in the moment was, holy shit, he just called out uh, Ben Percy. Like, like that was the way I read that when I heard it live the first time upon further reflection and from talking to some inside sources, uh, I think the intent of what he said in maybe the worst way possible was to say that was not the original plan because every other indication is that Hickman was in fact involved in the X office. I don't think Percy's X deaths of Wolverine just up and decided to change the Moira plans of his own accord. I do not believe that for a second. That is not what has been reported anywhere. If that story comes out later, it will be news. <laughs> it will be actual news uh, to, to this history. And listen, like there is, there is some potential here for a very interesting, to a small portion of the population, uh, oral history of, you know, the X office days, right? Were things as amicable at the end? as has been reported, is there actually more animosity there or is what we have been told more or less the truth? But, you know, the one thing I saw there was like there, this, and it's a, it's a consistent narrative that pops up a bunch of places, but it's the idea that Hickman had a plan and that he's a victim and other people took the characters and did other things without him. And I think Percy specifically gets way too much blame in that regard. Um, I have been critical of comics and of storytelling choices that Percy has made. But there's no there's no question I have about the competency. And I also, and I did this in the videos at the time, I really do celebrate. Like, someone had to step up and have the guts to write the Moira story after Inferno. Somebody had to own that, knowing full well, knowing full well they were going to be the creator post-Hickman. They were going to be the one who had to try to measure up to the auteur visionary that set the stage for everyone that everyone was very upset was leaving. That took, like, creative confidence, okay? I don't think it worked. I think the story fell off the tracks <laughs> after, like, issue three. But listen, took a swing. Took a swing, okay? And I, I do not fault him one iota. In fact, I commend him for being the individual to step in and take that swing. So anyway, I forget. Oh, we're talking about the Moira thing. Uh, yeah, so like that, that Hickman is not blameless in the, uh, in the wasted potential of Moira. I think that's the big thing that too many fans seem to ignore. Hickman did not deliver on any of that potential for two years until Inferno by choice, by design, for whatever reason. Like, that would be my one question. I get an interview with Hickman. My one question, yeah, I get one question. It's, why didn't you do anything with more? You coward. I would just, if I only get one, I'm insulting him. What, what's the worst that can happen? He's leaving anyway. <laughs> uh, Xavier says, people are opinion sponges. That's a good point. That is certainly true. And it's, it's a hard thing to fight. You know, I've, I've certainly been that way throughout my life. You know, you, you absorb things and you try to make that a part of yourself and you don't quite know where you got it from. I mean, we all are to a degree. Um, but it's, you know, it's important to question those things sometimes. All right. What other questions do we got? Bird Nerd has not read issue five of Alpha Flight. Sorry, everyone. We cannot recap that <laughs> live on the stream. That was our only chance Chris says Alpha Flight is good. That being said, I haven't read it, which is that is the best way to read Alpha Flight. Like that is I have the highest opinion of Alpha Flight when I have not actually read any Alpha Flight. A lot of opinions also being formulated around books and stories and publishers 
of things that folks have not read. Like, <laughs> we should not be surprised by this, but just never underestimate the ability for someone to have absurdly strong opinions about um, media they have and art they have not consumed. <laughs> never under underestimate how often that happens. All right. What else do we got? Okay. Mr. Evil Dr. Porkchop asked the important question here. Here's the big question. Is Moira still a good baby name? <sighs> I don't want to insult your child, if that's where this is going. If, if the reveal here is, in 2020, we named our beautiful little girl Moira, I don't want to tell you no. You do also have Shit's Creek in your corner on the Moira front. Do we have any others? Are there any other well-known Moiras or Moiras? I, I, I couldn't even tell you. Moira? Moira McTaggart. If I type in Moira, I get Moira Kelly and Moira Quirk are my first two Google options. Moira Kelly was on the West Wing, apparently has a shocking truth behind her departure. Now I'm just pure Joe Roganing it, and I'm just reading Google to you. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's stop that right now. Is it a good baby name? Uh, listen, if it suits you and it suits yours, uh, congratulations to you and and your family on little baby Moira. Um, personally, I'm gonna go with some other options. I'm gonna go with some other options because I do not want a child that every time I say their name, I get weepy <laughs> and I get weepy and I'm like, ah, oh, such wasted potential. That's a horrible position to put yourself in with a kid, right? With your kid, we're out of the box, out of the gate. You're like, oh, wasted potential. <laughs> like, that's not where you want to be with your own child. Uh, so I think that is dangerous. Uh, maybe consider renaming uh, if if that's where you're at. But maybe you like Evil Robot Moira. Maybe you're happy with where things are at. And, uh, and then you're less concerned. I mean, I think that's fine. I think that's fine as well. Bernard says, I just don't understand why the X office didn't sit Hickman down and just mimic his vision. I mean, for all we know, they did. You know, I mean, I think on one hand, that's not how creative people work. Like, that's an absurd... It, if the mandate was, all right, five relatively established comics writers write books exactly like Hickman, we would have horrible comic books, right? Like we would have no room for creativity. We would have none of the good stuff that came from the pen evaluating Kieran Gillen, Victor Laval, and we would just have horrible imitations. I mean, you don't want to read the, the amateur imitation of somebody who does something well, you know? So like, and, and so anyway, even if you're not just talking writing style and you're talking following the vision I, we don't know that they didn't, is the thing. Everyone assumes that Hickman had a better vision than what we got. But we don't know that. And we never will. The history tells us that was probably true. I think Hickman would have really done some work to sell the vision as well. Had his X-Men run continued, right? But it didn't. And we don't actually know what the plan was. The only people who know are Hickman and maybe the people inside that room. You know, I, I mean, yes, I would love as part of the oral history, like, well, here are the notes John gave us and here's where we deviated and here's why. I think that stuff would be really interesting. Uh, but we don't know how much really changed. Hank asks, are you excited for Hickman's ultimate universe, though? This, this I'm glad you asked, Hank. Thank you. Um... I am now. I am I am actually very excited for the Ultimate Universe relaunch. We got Hickman, Chiquetto, Spider-Man. You got Peach Momoko on X-Men, which is going to be fascinating. And then you got Brian Edward Hill and uh, Stefano Caselli on Ultimate Black Panther. I mean, I think, I think Marvel is in a malaise, as I've been saying. Uh, not because they went woke, <laughs> but because the comics have been relatively average as a whole. And they're, they're missing a central vision. They're missing a core. It was supposed to be X-Men, but X-Men is on its way out, transitioning to something new. Um, <laughs> the idea, you just see so many, I've seen so many voices now where it's like, 
Mystique and Destiny had a baby, therefore Marvel Comics are bad and dying. It's like the leaps in logic to get there. It's like there are so many Marvel books, y'all. Um, there are so many. They're doing so many different things. We, we might agree that Marvel is in need of change, but that someone can come to that conclusion versus mine, the total opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of why we think Marvel needs change. I think Marvel could use new leadership. I mean, it's, it's a weird thing to call, and I would almost never do this, to call like for, you know, essentially like the firing of someone. But like, I don't know, when you get your job and it's immediately reported that you did career yellow face, like, I don't feel that bad for Sabluski. I mean, listen, the guy's had five, six years. We're still in Marvel fresh start. <laughs> um, there's been some positive behind the scenes stuff for the old heads, getting the licenses back to ROM. And uh, do we get Micronauts yet? You know, getting omnibuses like that. People are going to enjoy that. That's nice. But where's the vision? Where's the vision? What is the core of this universe? Where's anything going? You know? Um, I would love to see an editor-in-chief from, like, anywhere in comics, but I don't know, like a Boom Studios, or you're probably not going to do Image, but, like, Vault's a bad example. Vault, honestly, the Vault editors, I think Vault has problems, but those editors have storytelling vision. Um, get someone young and hungry, younger and hungrier, but with publishing experience, I would love to see someone who comes in with like actual storytelling vision that reflects a Marvel universe that feels essential again, that feels like it's going places, and that has a variety of comics. You know, I think DC is in a much healthier position right now. I actually just tweeted this, but like, I feel like Marie Javins is DC's editor-in-chief is like weirdly underrated. And that's probably where you want to be as an editor-in-chief because people only really talk about <laughs> that position when they're complaining about it, when they're mad about it, and when they're insulting an editor-in-chief who pretended to be a Japanese man to get work. Um, they aren't talking about the fact that Marie Javins has like really fully righted DC's ongoing superhero universe. DC was a mess when she took over at the end of 2020. Like a mess. I stopped reading, you know? And Black Label has this massive potential to continue DC's stranglehold on collected editions where they have always dominated Marvel. The superhero ongoings are interesting. The stuff they've done experimentally, putting short stories in the backs of your ongoings. So instead of Marvel's just cycle of failure with five-issue miniseries, you have these backup stories. I don't always necessarily read them. I don't know that it's a perfect answer, but it allows for artistic freedom. It allows for creative opportunities. You get some interesting creators. You get Cy Spurrier and Danny doing a backup in uh, Detective Comics or whatever. You know, I wouldn't have bought that many. I wouldn't, but I'm reading Detective Comics because Ron V is one of the best writers in comics. <clears throat> it's good stuff, you know? So I feel like Marie Javins is underrated, which like, you know, if you're a, if you're a GM or a coach is where you want to be, Right? Like, we don't talk about, well, whatever. We talk about GMs and coaches. You all will understand. Everybody will get mad at me. <laughs> but anyway, new editor-in-chief. It's time. I think we can all agree it's time. Um, like, I don't know. What would the argument be against that at this point for Marvel? I have no idea. No idea. Um, okay, where were we? I don't remember. Let's look at what the questions are. Because, again, I told you this conversation would be raw. Told you it'd be free form. Told you things could get weird. Oh no. I'm trying to scroll. And now am I oh geez, I'm leaning on my keyboard. I'm zooming in on the questions instead of scrolling. Things are things are getting crazy. That's how raw it is <laughs> here on this live stream. Uh what do we got? What questions? Bernard says, Yeah, you're right, Dave. Mimicking Hickman would ruin the creatorship of the titles. Yeah, I do agree. Um Raphael asks. Have you talked about Sabretooth War? Uh, well, it hasn't started yet. Uh, I think I talked about it when it was announced. I'm very excited that Laval is going to be joining Ben Percy on Wolverine. I think I've known that they are friends and friendly. Um, I think the two of them writing together, combining their Sabretooth and Wolverine arcs, is going to be pretty interesting. I'm a little confused how it's going to fit. I, I think Marvel, you know, the biggest danger that I see with the fall of the powerhouse of X and the rise of the powerhouse 10 is like, we're doing this event 
as a classic Marvel event. This isn't going to be Hoxpox where everything else gets shut down and they have 12 issues and that's all that matters. These are going to be your classic event issues and then the tie-ins are going to be the regular ongoings that continue around them, right? Like it was just announced in the end of this X-Men issue that <clears throat> after the fall of the powerhouse of X number one, X-Men number 30 or whatever is going to be like the next issue in that journey. So we're going to have the classic tie-in structure. Where's Wolverine Sabretooth War going to fit in all that? Is it even? Is it even going to try? And then is it going to feel disconnected because of that? Which has been, you know, my main uh, uh, concern for the Percyverse, you know, when, when I have been enjoying it, is like it always feels like it's an afterthought like cast to the side of the actual big picture Krakoan narrative. So that'd be my concern for Sabretooth War. Um, but I'm tentatively like, you know, I'm interested to see what they can bring to the table there. Let's see. Truth Teller asked, was Dave down on Duggan's Doom Dialogue? That's a good Fox and Socks edition. Was Dave down on Duggan's Doom Dialogue? Uh, not especially. Not especially. Not, not in the upper pantheon. And not the worst. It's what what most things uh, are in these hands. It was fine. Uh, Ryan North wrote a great Doctor Doom this year. Uh, uh, who's the other one? Al Ewing wrote a great Doctor Doom this year. We got Al Ewing Doom, and we got Ryan North Doom. We had like two of like my favorite Doctor Doom issues of all time this year. It was a good year for Doom. I said this previously. The Ryan North Doctor Doom travels through time story was amazing. The one where he makes the Fantastic Four forget every letter of the alphabet, alphabet, the alphabet, except the letters that spell Doctor Doom. Like one of my favorite just goofball comic plots uh, or beats of all time. And uh, uh, the Venom Al Ewing stuff, more time travel, more Doom. We got, we, we ate okay on the Doctor Doom side of things. I didn't need to, I didn't need for it to come here. Xavier asks, how long for Marvel to ask someone to reboot Beast? I mean, by the end of this run, for sure. I mean, by the by the end of Percy's X-Force, the, the button will have been pressed for the next era to reboot Beast. They're not going to continue this. There's no chance. Zero percent chance. I'm calling that one now. Let's see. Mr. Bubbles says, or no, maybe not Mr. Bubbles. I want to misattribute you. Somebody said, please no more woke whining. Are we asking for me? <laughs> or for the people who are whining about woke. I don't know if that was unclear. I'm not whining about things being woke. I'm whining about people whining about things being woke. There's a difference. Let's see. Fast says, I don't get sports references. That was as limited a sports reference as I could possibly have given you. <laughs> I promise you. Absolutely promise you. Um, Mr. Evil Dr. Porkchop asks, thoughts on Brevort as editor-in-chief? I'm... I might be more pro Tom Brevoort than a lot of comics fandom. Uh, I've been reading his his weekly newsletter is, I think, very informative and honestly interesting. It gives a lot of inside baseball perspective on what's going on at Marvel now, um, and then just a great sense of history as well with just comics in general. I don't question for a second that that is an individual that loves the medium and and cares about its history. I think for my money, he's too he's too much a part of the foundation of what Marvel has been to decide where it's gonna go next. I think if it was gonna happen for Brevoort as editor-in-chief, it would have happened instead of Sobolski, um, post Axel Alonso. That was the window. I think, and I don't know if it's a position that he doesn't actively seek. Um, I, he, he's probably written about it, frankly. He's not super, uh, it doesn't seem like it's something that he's targeting. I think he genuinely enjoys the act of editing comics and making comic books. So I, I don't know that it's really like, but it, I mean, he's definitely the, the biggest name that inside comics people would know who, from in-house, who could step into that role. I, I would like to see them. I mean, listen, I, it's nice that they can promote from within and all that, but I would like to see the Marvel Knights era, Joe Quesada, Jimmy Palmiotti. I know they didn't come in immediately as editor-in-chief, but like somebody from the outside coming in and figuring out how do you write this ship? How do you get people excited about Marvel Comics in the way that we feel like they could be and should be? 
Um, that that would be my preference for sure. Okay, let's see. Lord of Flex says the best comic today is Conan from Titan Comics. You know, it's the Jim Zub run. Zub has a clear fascination with Conan. I've never been a big Conan the Barbarian guy. Um, I think I've read a little of the BBC Act, Kerry Nord stuff, and the Jason Aaron uh, Asrar runs. Um, none of the novels. That's a tough sell for me personally, uh, but I, I mean, I feel like it's getting buzzed. I, I might want to check that one out going into next year. I definitely might want to check that one out. Jordy asks, how do you think about Karen Gillan's work in the X office? I feel like he's good about his stories feeling important and different. Happy he's getting X-Men forever. Yeah, I, I love Gillen being around for the X-Office. Karen Gillen and Al Ewing and Victor Laval saved the post-Hickman X-Men experience. Um, they they made it so that it has, it has been worthwhile and relevant uh, through to the finish line. It would not have been otherwise. Let's see. Banksy says, kind of seemed like slight shots at Hickman. Toward the beginning, through Doom's dialogue. I doubt that. <laughs> I doubt that. Uh, I, I would need to hear what specifically you thought might have been the case. Let's see. Banksy asks, have you been reading Zadarsky's Batman? Uh, yeah, I, I read up until the Gotham War, whatever crossover event they're doing now. I read everything up to that point. And I was not compelled enough to continue. Uh, Detective Comics is way more my speed. Um, they were both fine arcs, but not actually exciting and, and far below Zadarsky and Chiquetto's work on Daredevil, in my view. Uh, I don't know if Gotham War is especially interesting or messy. I gathered something big happened. <laughs> and somehow I've avoided the spoiler of specifically what it was. Uh, if you want to mention it here, frankly, I don't care if I get spoiled. Maybe others do. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I've, I've checked out, so somebody's got to let me know if I, if I need to jump back in on that one. Let's see. Jordy asks, is there a character that's been changed so much by the Krakoan era, you think their character will be changed permanently? Professor X, I think you, you have to continue the trajectory of their mutant savior and fall from grace. And I think you can pretty naturally. You know, I think the the challenge of the reboot or the refresh of X-Men, I don't expect it's going to, like, pretend Krakoa never happened. I mean, because one possibility, people keep asking, like, how could they do it? I mean, one strong possibility is, you know, we use Moira's 11th lifeline and everything actually resets. And we just set the table again. And we basically, we reboot the Marvel Universe, which they've kind of never done. Um, it's a very realistic possibility. I mean, that was always the intention, right? That was always the reset button that Hickman put on the table so you could get out of that. I don't know that they're actually going to do that. You know, but it's... I, every time I, I, over the you know first couple of years of the Krakoa era, that I said, it'd be so weird... If they never <laughs> did anything with X regarding the Powers of Ten stuff or Moira, I've been let down. So at this point, I have no confidence that it will happen. It's it's a very natural reset button, and it would allow you to just kind of start over. And then if they do go that route, then the only character who changes permanently is anyone who remembers what came before, um, which might be no one. But if you don't do that, and it is just kind of everything keeps moving. Uh, I think Professor X will change significantly. Magneto a little bit. But he's he bounced around the varying poles so often anyway. Um, who else? Who's had a big kind of like game-changing Krakoa experience? I'm thinking now just on the Quiet Council. A lot. I mean, Beast probably has a lot to atone for, you know, if you go that route. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a tricky one, I, I think. But, it, you know, we'll see what the plan is. All right, let's see. Uh, Mr. Bubbles asked, do you still collect any physical copies? I sure do. I sure do. 
got them back in the long boxes in the closet. You can't see them. Uh, yeah, I just went to the comic shop this weekend. Go to your comic shop, pick up your holds. I, I, I didn't do it for a few weeks. Felt badly about that. Comic shop needs that money. And uh, let's see, I picked up um, all my usual. So all my pulls at this point, I'm still getting Immortal X-Men. I'm still getting X-Men Red. Um, otherwise, I don't pull a hell of a lot of superhero stuff. Uh, I picked up every issue they had of Ice Cream Man in stock, every issue they had of Swan Songs in stock. I picked up Rare Flavors, the new Ron V, Felipe Andrade, Boom Studios series. I picked up every back issue of Ice Cream Man they had. My favorite comic book, I have the hardcovers, but I don't actually have the floppies, so I'm, now I'm on a hunt to just get all the floppies. I'm going to have this book in like eight versions. It's that good. Um, I prefer reading a physical copy of a collection. So I will typically use my local library for books that I'm excited to read. Uh, but like, on, I don't, I don't read a lot of my floppies, I will say. And that's why I often talk about it as, you know, sort of a deranged behavior. <laughs> Cause it is like, it's not actually my preferred way to read story more often than not, you know, usually I'm just cycling through digital review copies. Uh, if I feel like I need to read something urgently, but like, otherwise I would rather get a nice collected edition from the local library, you know, and uh, I'm just, I'm looking here. <clears throat> I've got this one from Abrams Comic Arts right now that I'm working through, The Superhero's Journey by Patrick McDonald. A lot of people talking about this as contender for one of the favorites of 2023. So yeah, I mean, I, I do actually prefer physical media, uh, but I probably read 60% digital just because it's so fast and easy. You know, with mostly with library apps. If, and I say this all the time, but Hoopla, Libby, your library card, absolute best friends for reading comics. You can read so many free comic books that way. I could not recommend it more. Okay, what do we got? Chris says, will Forget Me Not ever come back? You know, I did see a tease today, and then I forgot it immediately. Um, what was it? No, I saw a tease today. Comicbook.com had the headline, Al Ewing promises to resurrect this X-Men icon in the series, Resurrection of Magneto. And I thought that was very funny phrasing because it tries to create a sense of mystery as to who might be brought back in the book called Resurrection of Magneto, which made me think it would be the funniest <laughs> and coolest damn thing if Al Ewing in his book, Resurrection of Magneto, did not do anything to bring Magneto back, but instead brought back, I said Don the Lobster, you say forget me not. Either way, X-Men icons. Either way. That would be amazing. Uh, Al Ewing's already my favorite Marvel writer. That would simply put a period on the end of that sentence. We would say, that cannot be undone. Nobody's coming for that title. Conversation's over. Enjoy it. That would be pretty incredible. Uh, Banksy had a question about Realm of X. That is not a question I will be answering did not read it beyond the first couple issues. Deus Empyrean says, I'm sure Hickman left Marvel a blueprint to follow after he exited. Why do they have the need to go back to basics? I mean, I think they are following the blueprint to some degree through the end of the Krakoa era. Like the blueprint is for the Krakoa era for as long as Marvel cared to sustain it. Um, they could have chosen to keep it going. Uh, they've chosen otherwise to refresh it and try to make it newly exciting, probably in anticipation of, you know, eventually the MCU is going to start using X-Men stuff and they're going to want the comics to be similarly accessible and exciting, you know? Um, so I, 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 it's hard to know exactly how back to basics it's going to get. I think that can get overstated. A lot of assumptions being made without an iota of evidence or, or, you know, even like creative teams attached. So, you know, it's I, like, I, you know, I've been saying five years is a pretty long run for the Krakow era. And that's how long it's been. So we've actually gotten really as many at bats as you kind of could have hoped for. Um, I like the idea of Krakow remaining as a sovereign nation in the mutant, you know, but at the same time, like this era is ready for an ending. It is. I think if you've been playing along, I mean, it's it's not able to sustain what it was. Uh, so I'm, I'm not bothered by the fact that it's ending. I mean, you know, again, I'm trying to be positive about what the reboot is going to look like. 
Um, I'll be curious to read it and see where it starts for sure, you know, but I've got my guard up about it. I'm not like, but I don't know. All, all it's going to take is Brevoort being like announcing some creators that I'm excited about and I'll be in, be in back in, in and excited on that. You know, it's not impossible. Uh, Caleb says Dave approves of double dipping. I feel like more weight has been lifted from my shoulders. No, that would be buying a comic in multiple formats. I believe you're saying, yeah, I don't do it often. I don't do it often, but I will for stuff that I really love. Um, Ice Cream Man, like I mentioned, I've got Bone in multiple formats. Um, probably not a ton of... Oh, I've got the Hickman Omnibuses as well as all the single issues. Um, omnibuses are tough to pass on. That's my kryptonite. If I see an Omnibus of something I love, like that is... And like, I, I mean, I've read maybe two or three of them. I don't know why I buy them. <laughs> They're horrible to actually read. But man, I, if I see an omnibus, I'm immediately tempted. All right. What other questions we got here? Kaylin asks, have you read World's Finest? Okay. Everybody in the comments. Everybody here. How much World's Finest should I read? Because everybody's... People seem very high. Uh, you got Mark Wade. No, who, who has a greater love of the superhero medium and its history? actively writing comics to Mark Wade. That's why you see these conversations this week about death comics and all that nonsense. And, uh, you know, one of the complaints is, you know, they're not like they used to be, right? They're, they're not uh, the escapist entertainment. They're not just telling good stories. That's Mark Wade's whole deal. <laughs> that is Mark Wade's whole ass deal. Dude's out here writing World's Finest, writing Shazam, writes a beautiful, what superhero, you know, comics kind of used to be. Um, flavor with a, with a mild modern adjustment, but I'm I, I read the first issue and it just felt it felt familiar. It felt I love Damora a lot. I mean, it looked great, but I just the way approach to a Batman Superman book just felt very like yeah, I, you know, I kind of feel like I've been here before. Um, but if people are like, no, it's secretly secretly there's much more to it. I'm open to it. I'm open to the idea. Um, I'm still finalizing my best superhero comics of the year list. And and that is on the list as far as one that I maybe want to read more of. So I'm I'm curious to check it out. Did I mention last stream that Riddler Year One is actually very good? I think I did. I think I did. That blew my mind. It's like, I just didn't see that coming. It's a great comic. Like <laughs> genuinely really good. Um, good. Good year for the celebs. Good year for the celebs jumping into comics. Let's see. Xavier asks, is the never-ending process of comics explain why they can never do a good ending to any story? Uh, I mean, the Marvel Universe and the DC Universes are not built for endings. They don't end. So, <laughs> that said, uh, I wouldn't say there's never any good endings. Uh, 2015 Secret Wars is a perfect ending to the Hickman saga, the first go-around. Uh, other stories with good endings? That's an interesting question. Hmm... I actually thought Ultimate Spider-Man, Death of Peter Parker into then Miles was a was an effective ending of sorts. Um, people have real loud opinions about Bendis, but that one I thought worked. What are their good endings in superhero comics, and why can't I think of any? I, it's definitely not a medium built for that. Um, it's definitely one of the biggest problems events have, too. Like Marvel events, it is very hard to close the door on a Marvel event. Uh, and you know, cause it's all about it. Inevitably it has to be about setup for the next thing to come. That's a good question. That's an interesting question. I'd have to probably sit down and look at the, look at the books. Obviously certain runs, like certain creator runs and, and arcs can have endings, but like something that really feels like a, like a shut the door moment. Um, you know, which is what fall of the house of X and rise of the powers of 10. Like ideally that will be what it is, you know? And if it has an incredibly strong ending, it is going to change the perception people have of this era going back. You know, like if it has a great start and a really interesting ending, and then like people are going to forget about the middle, <laughs> you know, people are going to forget about the journey. It will get talked about more glowingly if they nail this ending. All right, what do we got? Banksy says, world's finest is great. John says, it's a really entertaining comic. And the more lore you know, the more rewarding it is. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, you got Dan Moore drawing the whole universe. Yep, definitely. That's appealing. Voss says, art is great. Just feels like I've read it before. Yeah. That was my uh, my worry. 
I think. Okay. Okay. What else? Get in your thoughts. Get in your, get in your final questions here. I'm going to get a sip of water. Let's see. Suggestions for good endings. Number of people naming Secret Wars. Um, Immortal Hulk. You know, I got to read that again. That ending actually, I love Immortal Hulk. But that ending felt, I don't know. I, it missed, I was missing something. Some sort of emotional connection. Uh, it wasn't as interesting. I got to read it again. I think probably what happened actually at the end of Mortal Hulk for me was, you know, I'd been reading it in chunks along the way, but then towards the end, I was just reading every issue month to month. And I probably just did not, I did not have it as firmly lodged in my brain as I needed to, to go into that ending with like, to give it a real chance. Uh, Deus Imperium says, Invincible. Does that have a great ending? Uh, it does end, you know, which is kind of kind of its deal, right? I'm going through Convincible right now. So Convincible is the My Marvelous Year spinoff where I am battling for my life against my co-host, Zach Dean. Uh, he does not think Invincible is nearly as good as I have thought it was. I have it ranked absurdly high <laughs> on my best comics of all time list on Comic Book Herald. Uh, and it is, it is definitely not the easiest of challenges to say why Invincible was so appealing to a younger me getting into superhero comics and comics in general now, you know? Uh, but definitely the biggest thing that stands out or the thing you remember about it, I think in a lot of cases, is it says, what do superhero comics normally do or what's a problem that they often have and how can we better replicate that experience? Um, and one of the big ones it does, of course, is you know, it just, it ends. It actually has an ending. <laughs> like that is, that alone, it makes it unique in uh, in in superhero comics. Um, I'm seeing some people here asking about Convincible. It is, so all you need is, it's the My Marvel This Year podcast feed. We've done episodes one and two. So episode one, we read through the first like 18 issues. And then I think we just read up to issue 35. And for the next episode, we're going to keep reading Invincible. We're also going to watch seasons one and whatever's come out of season two of the animated series. And what I, what I'm hoping to do there is to use how the animated series has used the foundation of invincible to make something, um, potentially more modern and more interesting to, uh, to continue the conversation around, like, is there, is there meat on these bones? Is there more worth to this series than Zach is seeing? Maybe that comes out in the animated series is what I'm kind of hoping. Right. So, but yeah, Convincible is coming out. I think, you know, basically we're putting one out one a month. Um, but my Marvel this year comes out weekly. Like, subscribe, and share, y'all. Uh, somebody said they subscribed to my channel because I said please in my video. So please like, subscribe, and share. Okay. Uh, Jordy says, any final predictions or theories for the Kirk Cohen era? I will probably do one last hurrah of, uh, of a video of a road to the fall and the rise. Um, I may work some theories in there. I think, you know, the, the, it is interesting to consider, like, what are even the questions that we're still asking? You know, um, who's the Dominion is a big one. Uh, what, if anything, will be done revisiting Moira's lifelines where we started? Are we, are we just pretending the phalanx don't exist anymore. <laughs> like, you know, I think those sorts of questions. Um, there's a cover that got everyone talking this week where someone is pointing a gun at Moira. Sitting on a park bench. Bum, 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 bum. Right? Who's that? Jethro Tall? That's Jethro Tall. Maybe it's Jethro with the gun. We don't know. They didn't show any other parts, just the gun. Uh, so somebody's traveling through time. Are they traveling through lifelines as well? That could be interesting. Um, but yeah, maybe I'll work in some theories. I don't know. I'm I'm way less in a theory space than than early days. I mean, theory space, that was the coolest part about House and Powers, right? It, like it gets when you get so absorbed in the potential and in a narrative and in these superhero universes. And I think we saw it with fandom, and it's definitely how my brain works. It's just like you can't help but just think about a million ways this could go and what it could do. And now I'm just kind of like, ah, just show me. <laughs> Let's just see. We're here. We made it. All right. What else do we got? 
Okay. I think we did it. Good job, everybody. Vas says, do you think we'll get a Lord of the Rings style battle moment when we see Dr. Doom's mutants ride in to save some of the X-Men and join the final battle? I mean, maybe, but like, that wouldn't be that exciting. <laughs> you know, like, be like an off, off the beaten path final issue of this run that is not integrated into the, the process, into the narrative. That would just be like a weird little Easter egg to toss in all of a sudden, you know? Like, don't, don't add things now. Just, like, resolve some things. What's going on with Doug? <laughs> Where's Doug? Somebody's got to teach, teach me how to Dougie. Uh, all right. Bernard says, all of Dave's old predictions would have been cool for Kirk Cohen era. Well, they all came true. So everything you saw, everything you saw in this uh, era of Krakoa comics was, that's what I said. <laughs> that's definitely what I said was going to happen. Um, Xavier said, how dare you, Xavier? All Dave's predictions would be contradictory. Uh, I doubt that. I doubt all of them. <laughs> Maybe a handful. I'll give you that. Uh, Dave Stinney has hit more often than Dave Stinney has missed. I think if we're looking back, if we're looking back at what really matters, and what really matters here is, did I hit on stuff more than I missed? The answer is definitely no. But the big stuff I hit on uh, was pretty good. I hit on Victor Laval writing Sabretooth like eight months before that was announced. That was a dope call. Good job, me. Um, anything else come to mind? <laughs> There's probably other stuff too. Let's see. What are people saying that they want to see come back? Manifold has to come back. Uh, yeah, what's Manifold doing? It's good. Maybe he'll be in Resurrection of Magneto. That'd be nice. Where's Doug? Where's Krakoa? These are important questions. What are they? They're just, Doug's just in Krakoa's belly, but we don't know anything that's happening there. Presumably that will come up again. Do we think that's going to be a Gillen Rise of Powers thing? Because I, I feel, I mean, possibly, right? He set that up, but it's also like, you know, I kind of want Doug and Krakoa to play a role in the present day, in the Fall of X stuff. Um, I feel like that makes more sense. But yeah, those those actually feel like maybe the most pressing questions. Yeah. Okay. Uh, final, final thought here. Callum says, have you heard of the comic channel Casually Comics? She is a pretty cool YouTuber and sane. Those are the nicest combination of things to be. The rarest of combinations as well. I have heard of it. Uh, it seems like a solid channel. Um, I've watched it a couple times. I tried to collaborate with her on podcasts or whatever, but I can never get a hold of her and you know, people have lives, people have other things going on, but seemed solid. Check it out, Casually Comics. All right, y'all. Thanks for joining live. Much appreciated. Again, I told you this is going to be raw. It was going to be deep. It was going to be earnest. It was going to be transformative. Now I'm just saying words, which is really what these streams are. No notes. We did it. That's that's a full time. No notes, no plan. We covered an entire hour with like no comics to talk about. <laughs> Hard to do. Next week should be way easier. Next week's going to be way, way easier because we've got X-Men Red ending. Obviously a sad day for me, but it will be an interesting comic book to talk about. We got Immortal Thor, big Al Ewing day. And when is God's back? We haven't had an issue of God's in 100 years, right? When is that? Is that the, the following week? That's the following week is going to be God's number three. Okay, so we should have a little more meat on the bones. Going forward, final thing. What's good in comics? Final wreck. Check out Miles Davis and the search for sound. Okay, check it out. Nope, that's not it. That didn't work. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. We've entered the mirror dimension. Everyone run. Everyone bail. Quick. It's going to get weird. Check out that comic by Dave Chisholm, Miles Davis and the search for sound. He also did a great graphic novel about Charlie the Bird Parker. Cue up some jazz. Listen to Miles Davis tonight and read that graphic novel. That's my recommendation for What's Good in Comics. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy the comics. <laughs>